Good morning. How are you guys doing this morning? You guys had your coffees? You're ready to roll? My name is Jen. I'm part of the pastoral staff here at Parallel Church. I'm also the director for My City Care. So as you can imagine, I'm a little bit excited for this morning's message. We're talking about for love and impact. But before we get started, we're just going to take a few seconds and greet our campuses who are joining us online. Let's give a warm welcome to our Okotoks location with pastors Joel and Tanisha, our Tabor location with Pastor Renee and Jill, our Lloyd Minister location with pastors Mike and Kara. Our Claire's home location with pastors Brian and Heidi. And of course, our Lethbridge location with pastors Ralph and Cindy. And our online, everyone is joining us today online from around the world. Good morning, everybody. So in the last series, Pastor Kelly is challenging us with this idea of the ecclesia. We kind of learned there's some places throughout history where the church, we didn't always get it right, but in this series, for Love and Impact, we're talking about the times where we did get it right. There were some times when the church not only changed the world, but actually changed the course of history. So we're visiting those things through this series. We're learning about them. We're excited about them and today we're going to talk about how God has given us a corporate mission but works through our personal conviction that how if we're going to operate with love and impact we need to embody both both of corporate mission and personal conviction working step in step Teresa Morgan a professor from Oxford University was asked in an interview for a book called bullies and saints she was asked what is the biggest impact on society today that Christianity has had and she said charity she said Christians are taught that God loves them absolutely and on that basis they can trust in God they can love God and because of that they're given such an abundance of love they can afford to love others with an enormous unreserved generosity she goes on to say that with the idea of love goes care for the vulnerable this is a world with no social safety nets but Christian Christians create social safety nets they are the people who are notorious for looking after the widows the poor and the orphan the people who in most of society are just slung out on the streets Paul, throughout the early church, reminded us over and over again the importance of serving the poor and looking after the poor. In Galatians 2.10, we see his heart again when it says, the only additional thing they asked was to remember the poor, and I was already eager to do just that. Throughout early church history, the early church provided for the poor, the sick, the disenfranchised, through wars, persecution, famine, plague, social and societal reformation, the rise and fall of empires. And Jesus commanded his believers to love one another as we love ourselves. Early, early Christians adopted Jesus' teachings and made an impact by caring for each other as a central focus of their gatherings. They shared everything they had with each other, and no one was in need because they all went through, uh, they all sold their property to provide for the less fortunate with radical sacrifice. This led to a cultural shift that continues to this day. With Christians still establishing social programs, running orphanages, schools, food programs, and other charitable organizations worldwide, we still see the impact of these groups today. And this is why we do My City Care. This is at the heart of absolutely everything we do. When we say that we come alongside, we mean it. 
And we're gonna show a list up here on the screen in just a second. And these are some of the names of organizations that have Christian roots that are still serving and operating in the world today. We have the Salvation Army, the United Way, Habitat for Humanity, the YWCA, World Vision International, Goodwill, American Red Cross, and Samaritan's Purse, Compassion International. And these are just a few of the organizations that are serving still to this day that have roots in our Christian faith. Many of these charities are in the top 100 charities list and several are even in the top 10 list and are still successfully serving worldwide. It's amazing, yeah, give it up. It's our heritage, guys. We also see the people behind these organizations and the impact of their life and personal sacrifice. One such person that stood out to me when preparing for this message was William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army. The Salvation Army started in the 1800s. It was a movement that went around the world and today serves over 133 countries worldwide and serves over 14 million people every year. Yeah, give it up. These guys are superheroes. William Booth started the movement in London, England. He had a heart for the disenfranchised. He had a huge heart and passion for reaching the lost, to see souls saved and London changed. And the Salvation Army started, believe this or not, in a tent in a graveyard. We talk about messing with the message, but we haven't gone there yet, guys. I'm just saying. We might, yeah, we might need to, <laughs> next location. Booth said that you cannot warm the hearts of people with God's love if they have an empty stomach and cold feet. And we see this every day through my city care. Also, see a need and meet a need. That kind of sounds a little bit familiar, doesn't it? William Booth abandoned the conventional concept of church and pulpit. Instead, he took the message to the people. He led a newly formed ecclesia, a buildingless movement in the marketplace, gathering all who would listen, an ecclesia that started in the streets and the bars and the graveyards became a movement that went to the nations. William Booth had a corporate mission, but had a powerful personal conviction, not just to see his city changed, but to see the world changed. He said faith and works should travel side by side, step answering to step, like the legs of a man walking first faith and then works, then faith again and then works again until they can scarcely distinguish what is one from the other, love and impact, working in step with each other. In the book, A City Without a Church, Henry Drummond said, Christianity is the religion of cities. It moves among real things. Its sphere is the street, the marketplace, the working life of the world. Now I've been thinking a lot about the last series and God's really been stirring in my heart about what this means and what it means for us to become the Ecclesia. Uh, Pastor Kelly in the last series talked from Luke 10 where Jesus sends out the 72. And we're gonna look at that here. It says, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them out two by two ahead of him into every town and place he was about to go. He told them the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out his workers into the harvest field. So I also looked at the variation in Matthew, and in Matthew 9, 36, 38, it says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And this is what's important, this is what I want us to look at this morning. 
says that he was moved with compassion. As I meditated on this, I was reminded of another story in the Bible about another Lord of the Harvest. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to join with me as we look at Ruth chapter 1. We're going to read a couple of verses here, and it's going to be a little bit, but trust me, it's going to be worth it, guys. <laughs> All right, Ruth chapter 1. In the days when judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi, and his two, the names of his sons were Malone and Kilian. They were from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab to live there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and he was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other one named Ruth, and after they came to live there for about 10 years. Unfortunately, her husband passed away and her two sons died tragically, and Naomi was left in a terrible situation. As a side note, reading through uh, and studying this, Bethlehem is translated house of bread. Now, I'm not a famine expert, but leaving a place called house of bread in the midst of a famine might, you know, Jen's thoughts might not be a good idea. When Naomi heard in Moab that their Lord had come to aid his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Naomi and her daughter-in-law Ruth returned to Judah, and this is where we meet another Lord of the Harvest named Boaz. Verse 2. Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing in the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick whatever leftover grain that has been left behind by anyone whose eyes I find favor. Now Naomi said, go ahead, my daughter. So she went out, entered a field, and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turns out, she was working in a field that belonged to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Boaz was a farmer, he's a landowner, a business owner, he was the lord of the harvest, literally. He had started to take notice of Ruth and was drawn with her to her situation with compassion, and he showed her enormous amounts of unmerited favor. So Boaz says to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me, don't go and glean in another field. Don't go away from here, stay with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. Verse 10. At this she bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked him, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you would notice me, a foreigner? And Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother, how you left your homeland and have come to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Now listen to this. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to the men. Let her gather among the sheaves and don't reprimand her. Even pull some stalks from her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up and don't rebuke her. And I want us to pay attention and just notice a few things. The Lord of the harvest is always moved by compassion. Compassion precedes action. Ruth was shown unmerited favor that she didn't deserve. She gleaned in a harvest that she never planted. In fact, she was given extra. She was told to stay close to the harvesters. And we see here God has a heart for the outsiders. And the harvest ultimately belongs to the Lord. 
and Boaz took no credit for his harvest. In Leviticus, the Lord instructs, when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall reap to the very edges of your field. Or, sorry, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. You shall not strip your vineyard bare or gather the fallen grapes of your land of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and the alien, for I am the Lord your God. Now, methods of harvesting are very different today from when this was first written. I'm not a farmer, I don't know all the details about harvesting, but during this time, harvesters were intentionally told to leave a margin of their fields unharvested. It was simply a command that symbolized that everyone had the right to access the means of provision created by God. Gleaning is a process in which landowners would provide for the poor and marginalize throughout the ages. In Matthew, when we see this reference to the Lord of the harvest, it says that he sends his workers into the field. And in the process, as they go, as they work, as they go to their business, as they go to school, the vulnerable, the widows, and the orphans are blessed. People are provided for, they're fed, they're closed, they're housed, and it's not a suggestion. This is a command. Our God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And church, my challenge for us is we need to create margins in our field. We need to be open to allow others to glean from us. We were never told how much margin to designate. It's up to the owner to decide how much to designate, but it's all about the heart. Practically, this can mean like a few things. It can mean like our time. Maybe you know a young business person that needs to glean some wisdom from you. Maybe it's financial, maybe it's resources, maybe it's influence. Just this week, I even had a lady come up to me and asked if she could bring some baked goods to Shop of Wonders. She didn't have anything else to give, but she could do that. That was her margin. And we need to leave an edge for God to use us in someone else's circumstance. When we fast forward to the end of this story, we see that Boaz fell in love with Ruth, wanted to marry Ruth, but there was just like one little hiccup. You see, being generous doesn't come without its challenges. Being generous sometimes has its obstacles, and being obedient isn't always easy. You see, Naomi owned some land before she went to the land of Moab, and she was hoping through this union that she could redeem it and bring that back into her family. And of course, Ruth and Boaz can get married in the process. But there was a kinsman redeemer who was closer, who had the right before Boaz, and he needed to turn down his right in order for Boaz to step in. We see here in verse chapter, or chapter four, verse five, then Boaz said, on the day you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. And I believe that there's some of us in this room who wanna see our community, our city, our nation changed. We wanna see our backyards thriving. We wanna see our schools thriving. And I believe corporately, we believe that the church needs to take its job back. But it hasn't, no. <laughs> but it hasn't gotten personal. It hasn't hit our field or our harvest. And guys, the cost of ownership is at an all time high. Let me say that again. The cost of ownership, personal ownership, is at an all-time high. The land we want to redeem, it comes with a cost and a responsibility. It comes with a Ruth 
and a Naomi. It comes with the widows and the orphans. Even Naomi's closest kin turned it down because he could lose his reputation and his inheritance. The cost was just too high. Sometimes those closest to our situations will pass up the opportunity because they count the cost. Sometimes we think that there's people closer to the situation that should maybe step in and deal with it. Maybe their family should step in, or a social service, or the schools, or the government. Redeemers of cities, restorers of homes. This is so important for us to get in our hearts. If we are called to be redeemers of cities and restorers of homes, all of us, not just Parallel Church, not just My City Care, it starts in our field, our backyard, our personal mission field, and we're all called to sacrifice. So what is your field? What is your harvest? Maybe it's in your business. Maybe it's in the marketplace. Maybe it's at home. Maybe it's in your ministry or your sphere of influence. Are you watching the fields for those who have come to glean? Did you see the gleaners? Did you see the ones that are following close behind? In this message, I'm not talking about starting more programs because we have lots of those. <laughs> we do. But I want you to pay attention to your heart when you see the gleaners, when you see them in the field. What fills your heart? Are you filled with grace and compassion like Boaz? Are you compelled to drop a little bit extra? Or does it cause you to think, maybe so-and-so should take care of that, or someone should take care of that? I'm talking about radical personal responsibility, personal conviction. It changed the world then, and it still changes the world now. <laughs> Compassion and action, hand in hand, foot in foot, love and impact. Because of this act, and this is so, this is so cool. Because of this act, Boaz did not just redeem the land he didn't just get a bride, but both Ruth and Boaz ended up being included in the lineage of Jesus. Their inheritance and their legacy are recorded in the Bible history forever. One generous person who changed the world because generosity speaks for generations. So what does this mean for you and for me? We are walking in such a rich inheritance of those who have gone before us, the William Booths, the Mother Teresas, organizations that have been taking radical ownership for years, rich inheritance. Do we see it? Do we sense it? Charity has always changed history, and it is all about redemption. Our true harvest and inheritance will only come from taking radical, personal, ownership. Now, I'm not here asking you to sell property. I'm not going to do that. But if the house of bread runs out, would you share what you have? In Revelations, Paul speaks about the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven, and his vision of heaven was his city, redeemed, his city. We need to have eyes to see our cities and communities redeemed, our homes restored, and our country transformed. We need to make it personal we need to get personal, because it starts with us. Love and impact is a corporate mission that takes personal conviction. We own it. This belongs to us. It's ours. We all know the saying, the hands and feet of Jesus. 
Well, as it turns out, I wanted to include this in my message. There was no verse for it in the Bible. I asked, and Pastor Jeremy, who I usually check this stuff with, was like, it's not in there. And I was like, what? But what was in the Bible is hands and feet of Jesus that are marked by sacrifice. The hands and feet of Jesus that held him to the cross for you and for me. It's going to cost us something. It's going to cost you something. And I can't say, let's make it personal without getting personal. So for me and Tim, my city care is so personal, so personal. When we were first married, our daughter was just one. Tim had been working like three jobs in the trade industry because the trade industry in Penticton where we lived at the time was booming. They were putting up condos everywhere. And so life was good. It was a house of bread. But it went from a house of bread to famine overnight. My husband was laid off and we had nothing. I had no food in my fridge, a baby at home. And we went to a social service provider and we sat in the chair. And to this day, I remember the feeling sitting in this chair. I remember the room. I remember the sounds and the smell. And I remember sitting there and my feet were sticking to the floor and the babies were crying. And I'm filling out this clipboard. And I just remember feeling so hopeless in that moment, right? So hopeless. We didn't even qualify for a hamper, not a benefit, nothing. And so luckily we didn't stay in the situation very long. We ended up moving in my parents for a season and everything was fine and we're here where we are today. But I remember sitting in that chair and I remember thinking and I had this righteous, angry moment with God and I was like, if we ever get the chance to give back, if we ever get the chance to help others someday, it's not gonna look like this. And that's why when we do stuff like Shop of Wonders, it's like all out. The lights are up and you can smell the Christmas spirit. <laughs> and you can't even walk through the door without feeling the joy and the hope and the excitement because that's what we're called to do when we come alongside. We come alongside. And the church is the hope of the world. The hope of the world. In Leviticus, when God gave that command, he wasn't talking to the government. He wasn't talking to the schools or the social service providers. It was given to the individual. It was given to you and to me. And the harvest doesn't belong to us anyway. We all have margin. And my margin doesn't look like your margin. However, I can see how God uses those situations and has used those situations in our life to set us on a course where we're helping come alongside others and make that reality so different for so many others. In our field, we chose to step in, and you're gonna have to do the same. It's not my city care without personal conviction and ownership. It's ecclesia in the marketplace, in the streets, in your business, and the service might be over, but church, we're just getting started. My city care, it's my city, my responsibility, today's takeaway, is my city care starts with me. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you so much for this morning. We thank you so much for this message. I pray that it's challenging, Lord. I just thank you so much that 
we get to do this, that it's an honor and a privilege. And I just thank you for every person and every heart here. I just know that you're ministering to people even now. I just thank you so much for just an overflow of generosity in our hearts. And no matter what that looks like in your fields, in the marketplace, in your ecclesia, wherever you go. And I just thank you so much that it's an honor and a privilege to do what we get to do. And we get to continue doing it. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you're in this room and you have never started a relationship with Jesus, it is the best decision that you're ever going to make. I'm going to give you an opportunity here in just a second. A relationship with God isn't about joining a church or joining a religion. It's about having that personal relationship that we're talking about today, that personal, personal connection with your Lord and Savior. Now, if everyone would bow your heads and close your eyes. And if that's you today, give us a little wave because we'd love to connect with you afterwards and give you a Bible. Dear Jesus, I thank you for your sacrifice on the cross, that you rose again. I thank you that my sins are forgiven and my past is past and I could begin a new life with you right now. In Jesus' name. Amen.